Hi, guys. Welcome back to My Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Another day, another interview, and it's going to be a very cool interview. Um, I have got the King of Calm with me. Now, what a title. What a title. And in all fairness, I could do with a bit of that because my day today started with uh, a short interview, a long interview, then running around doing things for myself, then coming back. So there was no calm there, very little calm there. So uh, it's high time that I've got the king of calm uh, on my show, Tom Cronin, who can help me a bit, maybe to, to analyze maybe where I can improve, uh, maybe where you guys can improve, and maybe a few tips and tricks, how to actually uh, deal with the underlying problems that so often lead us then to try to escape our reality in drink, in drugs, in pornography, whatever it is that floats your boat. Tom, thank you so much for coming on to my show. Mm, it's great to be here. What a lovely introduction. And uh, <laughs> thanks for inviting me along today. It's great. Oh, hell yes, absolutely. The king of calm. Um, man, I mean, the amount of anxiety I had over the years um, I don't know if I could bottle that. I could make quite a nice, nice scent out of that. Um, <laughs> what about you? Have you been a man who has been plagued in the past with the opposite of cool and calm? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I had a, a many, many years of immense anxiety, which eventually morphed into extreme panic attacks. So these waves and waves of incapacitated sort of panic that would sort of have me curled up in a ball and just really, you know, dry retching and um, having uh, these sort of incredible physiological responses to extreme anxiety. You know, you can have mild anxiety for long periods of time, but I'd get these waves of intense panic. And as these accumulated, it sort of morphed from anxiety into panic and then insomnia. And, mm. um, and on top of that was eventually a deep, dark depression because, you know, you're you, in panic in anxiety, you're not producing serotonin, you're not producing oxytocin. These are the biochemicals that make us feel positive and loving and yeah. um, calm. And so, uh, yeah, my life for quite a long time was quite um, depleted and deteriorated a lot with anxiety, panic and depression. Can you remember when it started? You know, I think as a child, I remember being uh, prone to fear. So we have um, what I've learned over time after studying a lot of um, you know, the science of the body and the mind is that generally by default, we have a particular sort of blueprint as a body type. And in Ayurveda, which is the science of the body and the science of life, Ayurveda recognized that there were three distinct body types. There's what we call Vata, Pitta and Kapha. And when they're imbalanced, those different body types, so I'm a Vata, which is a very lean body type, um, they're prone to being flighty, anxious and in a state of sort of nervous tension then the pitta body type, which is a very athletic build. So these are normally sports stars, sports people. Um, their physical body is prone to fire and heat. And so when they're imbalanced, they get anger and jealousy and rage. So I never really got anger, jealousy or rage. It just wasn't one of the things I ever really experienced. But I generally had a lot of anxiety, nervousness and sort of fear. And then you've got the Catholic body types, which are the heavy set body types. So you think of Kim Beasley or Roseanne Barr or someone sort of quite jowly and heavy. Um, they're prone to that inertia, depression, and sadness. Mm. And so we've got these, you can have variances of each of them, but we do have distinct blueprints. And so as a child, I was very fearful. You know, I used to wake up during the night and not sleep very well. And mm. we sort of, we lived on a farm in the middle of nowhere and I was a bit scared at times. And then as a kid going through school, I was very anxious and concerned about how I was seen and how I was being judged and speaking up in front of people. I was always afraid of that. So I think we generally have a disposition and mm. some people it's more extreme than others. Mm. Um, and so for me, mine was definitely, and I see it in, in, my, in my children, in, in um, my family, my brothers yeah. and sisters, my mum and dad, that this proneness to anxiety and some people will get that in their genetic lines. Interesting. Interesting. I'm aware of the, of those categories, and um, it is. It sounds like oversimplifying. Yet there is very much a kernel of truth in there, mm -hmm. isn't it? Mm -hmm. um, and we need to recognize that these are not absolutes, uh, no, and right. that we can morph, and that we um, that we have got a, a, a your blueprint, as you call it, as a baseline. But then, if you add stress on it our distress on it, that then again morphs. Each of these can morph and take on other components with it 
Absolutely. Um, yeah. So it's interesting. Uh, when you went to school, how were you at school? Um, were you not necessarily fitting in? That's not what I'm asking. How were you academically? Did, did that nervousness uh, translate into you becoming very good at school? Because at least there I, are rules and there are mm. something to can hold on to. Yeah, look, I, I, I like to be, you know, I like to fit within a, a parameter, you know, and like to be sort of, um, I'm a bit of a perfectionist. So I, I try very hard at doing things and like to be perceived, in, you know, as a child, like to be perceived and received in a particular way. So there was a, a, a sense of um, trying hard to do well. Yeah. I wasn't academically brilliant. I sort of was, you know, top of the sort of middle range. But um, I do recall I went to an all boys Catholic school and I did feel like a bit of a fish out of water. It was a very sort of big football sort of school and I wasn't a football-y type of guy. Uh, I was a little bit more sort of in touch with my emotions. So I did feel a bit fish out of water a lot of times during school. And yeah. um, for that reason, there was a bit of nervousness around that. But then again, you could say that, is there any mm. one single person in school no. who feels, oh yeah, I've got my shit together. <laughs> no, <laughs> so I think we're all variations of a theme there. Um, yeah. I I have never had a guest who said, oh yeah, I fitted right in in school. I mean, because you can't, <laughs> it's just, it's no. true. Okay. But then again, for some of us, that can become a real trauma in itself and others sort of, you know, they can shrug it off. How did you go then? I mean, where did you go from school? Yeah, from school, I went. In, I was going to do a degree in journalism at university. I went backpacking around the world for a while. Yes. I took a, a year off school. And when I came back, I didn't have any money before uni. I, uh, and so I decided to take a few job offers that were out there. And one of them was on a trading room floor, which is very Wolf of Wall Street <laughs> sort of style. And before I knew it, I was on a massive trading room floor and making lots of money, six-figure salary, given a sports car and a corporate Amex card. And I was... Um, kind of hook, line and sinker pulled into that lifestyle. It was very exciting, very adventurous and very, um, you know, hedonistic. And so the university degree got pushed to the side and I thought it was only going to be a year or maybe two years of being a broker. And then I'd go and do my uni degree, but it ended up being 26 years in that job. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> High pressure, uh, high um, adrenaline. At some stage, you're tired, but you want to stay high, so you take something for that. At other times, you're uh, you are you can't come down, so you take something for that. What became your favorite poisons? What were yeah, you playing well, with? Look, a big part of the culture in that finance industry, and if anyone's seen Wolf of Wall Street, they'll understand what I'm talking about. It was a very accurate portrayal of sort of my world. You know, it was 1987 that Jordan Belfort started his career, and that was the year I started my career, 1987. He was 22 and I was 19. So it was high adrenaline, as you say, and when we've got a lot of adrenaline and cortisol in our body, we don't have a lot of melatonin, serotonin, and oxytocin because we're in the sympathetic nervous system state. And so my body was very depleted of the biochemicals that made you feel calm and relaxed and happy and mm. full of love. And that's because you're just on edge all day long, you know, doing these, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars of trades. Um, and not only have you got a job that's quite intense and adrenaline fueled, but then you have a social life around that job that is also adrenaline fueled. And so what was naturally a big part of that culture then was um, a lot of drinking and a lot of drugs. So uh, particularly, um, you know, back then, you know, cocaine was a big part of the industry. Uh, I don't know about it these days, but um, it certainly was back then. So that was kind of like the elixir that we were sort of using um, to certainly some of the, the, the groups that I was involved in um, back then was a big part of our industry then. Was that Australia? Was that in that yeah. setting? I'm pretty sure it was global, but that was where I was based. I was correct, based correct. Um, obviously, some some countries have variations of a theme. Uh, they they uh, rather prefer one drug over the other, but it's mainly uppers. Really, you want to be up there. Wow, this is cool. You want to be high, high, high. Yeah. And but your body yeah. needs to calm down at some stage. Did you experience burnouts? What happens after a week on cocaine, yeah. alcohol, and and stress? What happened to you? 
<laughs> well, unfortunately, um, my burnout, I didn't get to experience my burnout uh, until quite a long time because it was an accumulative process. You know, right. what happened was I didn't just sort of crash at the end of the week and then just catch up on sleep. You know, my weekends were catching up with a bunch of other mates and going into the warehouse parties. I was really big on the, the nightclubs and the oh. warehouse parties and the dance music scene. Yeah. So by weekdays, I was in the finance industry and doing things with traders and other brokers, um, which was a very different type of group of people than my weekend crowd, which was uh, a group of sort of independent indie sort of crowd into the, the rave culture and the nightclub scene and the, and the, and the dance music scene. So I was spending my weekends with them. So I didn't really get this sort of burnout crash and burn every week no. and recuperate from the, the, the midweek sort of shenanigans. And it was this, this accumulative effect of um, building up of stress and fatigue, stress and fatigue, stress and fatigue, overwhelm 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 and it was many years later that i had a, a major major burnout so that was a, a cataclysmic sort of nervous breakdown um and there was uh, i couldn't go to work i was seeing psychiatrists doctors put on pharmaceutical drugs so mm. at the age of 20 uh gosh i can't remember what year it was it was in 1996 so it was around the age of 29 that i had uh, a, a full me mental nervous breakdown <laughs> no surprise that was yeah. what six years six, seven yeah. years of, yeah, of about, just uh, Madness. Just madness. Yeah, yeah that's right. Oh. And look, the thing is, the, the, what we've all got to understand here is that your body is an incredible piece of equipment that has an intelligent design in it. And that intelligent design is like a car. When a car has a problem, it gives you red lights. And the red light on the dashboard is a signal that's letting you know that there's something wrong with the car and you need to have a look under the bonnet. So the body gives you signals all along the way. It's, oh. It doesn't like what you're doing and it's going to let you know that it doesn't like what you're doing. So I was getting signals all along the way over those years of, you know, colds, flus, viruses, uh -huh. um, being run down, getting um, anxiety, getting insomnia. And these are red lights on a dashboard that's letting you know that the body doesn't like that particular <sighs> protocol. And we should be listening to the red lights, but generally because we're quite stubborn and we're not adaptable, which is Einstein's definition of, you know, it's the strongest of the species is the most adaptable, right? And I was not very adaptable. And so because I was just persisting with the same thing and resisting the information flow from my body, um, eventually what happens is the body doesn't just make that go away. The body just turns up the volume and says, wow, we've got a stubborn one here. We're going to have to let this one know that we don't like what he's doing. We have to try and find a way to stop it. And if you keep ignoring that, then eventually the body gets and puts you in an unconditional situation. Yeah. It puts you in a choiceless situation. It's like, it's, it's what we call in engineering terms a bifurcation point, which is breakdown or breakthrough. Hmm. And we shouldn't have to get to that particular point, but most of the time as a collective species or as an individual, we usually wait until it's bad enough or almost too bad before we finally make a decision to break down or breakthrough. <laughs> it's beautifully said because there's virtually every single guest I've got on my show has come to that point. Mm. or multiple times to that point because some of us are overachievers we don't just take one big breakdown and say ah okay i learned from that no no no. we want to make sure so five or six times the same thing which is really the definition of insanity mm -hmm. so exactly so yeah, welcome to the club so then you were 27 28 and suddenly the lights went on and you were a new and improved version yeah uh -huh. <laughs> not, not quite. Yeah, exactly. I don't think so. But so it, it was it was an interesting process that I went through. You know, I, I basically couldn't go to work. I was struggling with agoraphobia, depression, insomnia, anxiety, panic attacks. So I had all the boxes ticked. But um, the doctors had identified that I was having a nervous breakdown. They actually yeah. used those words. They sent me to a psychiatrist and he put me on pharmaceutical drugs. But I, I felt intuitively that this path that I was on, which was Western medicine, psychiatry, and pharmaceutical drugs, not to dismiss it for anyone who's using that, but for me, intuitively, I felt there must be another option because I didn't feel like I was getting to the core of the problem. And interestingly, at that time, I came across meditation in a TV show that I was watching. It was uh, about a property developer, and he talked about how we use meditation. And I'd never come across meditation. It wasn't something that was in my life at that point in time. And it was still very much unheard of. This was 1996. But there was like this light bulb moment that went on in my head. And I just felt like there was something here that must be worthy of exploring. And that's when I started to look into meditation. And so 
interestingly, I learned to meditate and I did a lot of research. I did a lot of different styles of meditation, but I came across one that was really transformational. And what I found was that the symptoms of anxiety, depression, even the addictions were a byproduct. They weren't the cause, they were a byproduct of me being in a particular state, which is the sympathetic nervous system state. And what meditation did was it very quickly put me into the parasympathetic nervous system state, like within seconds, minutes, and everything started to change. My whole body reversed all of those anomalies of being in a hyper-stressed situation, a hyper-stressed response. And I found that very quickly within weeks, um, a lot of those anomalies just simply reversed and undid themselves. So uh, the insomnia went away, the anxiety went away, the depression started to lift the panic attacks went away. Um, the addictions even started to go away because I was in a cortisol-induced, adrenaline-induced state before. Meditation got me into a much better biochemical balanced state. And because I was in a better biochemical balanced state, the cravings and the addictions naturally started to just melt away because I didn't have that, that ache and that yearning to have something fulfill an empty lack that I was experiencing. When was the first time that you realized that? Because, I mean, this takes time, these realizations, these breakthroughs. It's less of realization. It's more of an experience. This is what, I, this is what it was for me. So like what it. happened was, yeah, so um, the first thing was I, I went to an introductory talk about the meditation and the neuroscientist who was teaching the technique who had a lot of scientific studies validating the power of that technique to reverse the body's hyperstimulated sympathetic nervous system yeah. state and put into the parasympathetic. And all of that science was really starting to intellectually, like a jigsaw piece, fall into place. Yeah. So it made sense on an intellectual level. So I signed up to do the course. But what happened was within the first week, experientially, I started to notice a lot of what he was talking about intellectually starting to play out experientially in my own body. So the first and foremost one was I had chronic, chronic insomnia. And that simply, the body's state of being in sympathetic nervous system, that's the fight, flight, stress response state. So if you've got a marauding tribe or saber-toothed tiger chasing you, your body's not going to produce melatonin because it doesn't want you to fall asleep because it's dangerous. Mm-hmm. If you've got a marauding tribe chasing you, you don't want to fall asleep. Mm-hmm. And so I'm in sympathetic nervous system and having chronic insomnia. Now, insomnia is the byproduct of being in sympathetic nervous system state. Mm-hmm. It's not the problem. Insomnia, that's just the byproduct. And so once I got out of sympathetic, the body started producing melatonin. And this happens very quickly when we start meditating. I was actually teaching a group of people, 100 um, people in a large conference uh, a couple of days ago. And I said to the audience, I said, I'm going to put you all into a meditation experience. And about 50% of you, about 50 of you in this room will start getting noddies and falling asleep within four minutes of me teaching you to meditate. And they're all scoffing and laughing, going as if there's no way. But they did, and that's because their body started to, to produce the melatonin and correct the imbalance that was in the, in, the, in the body. And so for me, falling asleep in that first week was unbelievable. And so that was uh, the, one of the earliest stages of things starting to experientially change. Wow. And that is such a gift, I mean, for crying out loud. Uh, I must say I'm a, I'm a high adrenaline kind of dude, and uh, the sleep is something... I can go off to sleep, but then uh, wake up and it's broken sleep. And mm-hmm. there's constantly this fight and flight going on in me. Mm-hmm. Um, now, there are good reasons why it happens in me. There is some PTSD going on and there is some, yeah, not so nice things going on. Um, at the same token, it is, it's all this balance. It is, if I let the craziness take hold and not work on it, well, I work on a relapse or you can work on your recovery and you can actually do exactly uh, follow steps that, that you are nowadays, that you have found out the hard way that you're nowadays teaching uh, others to do. So sleep was the first breakthrough for you. And your body, your body would have had so many warning symptoms um, that you were in trouble. Uh, typically, the headaches, the stiff neck, pain here and there and everywhere, uh, often tummy upset, um, frequent infections. So how did that all go when you started meditating? Yeah, what starts to happen is that the intelligence within the body starts to um, have the potential and the possibility now 
to do what it does really well. The body actually is designed to optimize and restore balance. Um, the challenge is when the only way it can do that is if there's enough orderliness and calmness in the body to do that. So we, we use this uh, analogy of the, um, the third law of thermodynamics yeah. that states that as the excitation occurs, order increases, and as excitation occurs, disorder increases. And they look at boiling water as an example, that as there's more excitation, there's more disorder in the system. And we see this in many different types of systems. Um, we can take a, a, a stadium of, say, 80,000 people sure. that are watching a football game. And at the end of the game, if they're very calm and they just exit that stage, uh, that stadium very easily within 10 minutes, okay? You can empty a stadium quite quickly. If everyone's just very calm, gets out of the chairs, gets in single file and walks out the exit date. But if there's a bomb or a gunshot or a fire or something, and all of a sudden they're overexcited and they're overstimulated and they're rushing around like crazy, we know that there becomes mayhem and disorder and they stampedes and people can die and all sorts of things. And the same thing happens with our body. If our body has got way too much hyperstimulation, which is what's happening in the world, yeah. then the system, which can run extremely orderly and extremely optimally, given the optimal state for it mm. to actually do that in, which is calmness. Mm. And the problem is with our world increasingly so is we're seeing hyperstimulation happening in our mental, physical, and emotional states. And what this is leading to is greater and greater levels of imbalance. And we've got Dr. Bruce Lipton from Stanford University Medical School. He says that 95% of all sickness, and that would include addiction, is a result of stress. And so if we eliminate that stress response that's happening in the body, if we put the body into that calm state, what we find is an orderliness starts to um, take over and a balance and optimization start to um, get enacted. And so for me, this is what happened. You know, the things just simply started to not be there. The addiction started to just simply go away. The insomnia started to not be there. The anxiety started to not be there. And what prevails when you take those stresses out is your truth, your, 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 your true essence. And the true essence of every human being, when we take all those anomalies out of the system, is that there's a lovingness, there's a gentleness, there's a kindness, there's a, there's a happiness, there's a, a calmness. And this is the very essence of who we are without the distortions of the, we call them samskaras, these, these, these scars from life experiences that accumulate in us and cause these distortions. <coughs> Sorry. Mm -hmm. You also could, of course, uh, say that purely on a physiological basis, your body starts healing when it mm -hmm. gets into a parasympathetic state. So yeah. here you are being completely inflammatory, being completely run ragged and everything in your body hurts because there's inflammation everywhere as a result of your lifestyle of your of of what you're doing and how you're coping with it because the, the alcohol or the cocaine or the drugs they do themselves harm in addition to the imbalance that you have got there already so and by now suddenly introducing initially maybe a few minutes and then a few hours of tranquility, of true serenity, of true peace, of true parasympathetic state, that suddenly the body says, huh, okay, now I can focus actually on, mm -hmm. okay, there is quite a lot of inflammation going on in the gut. Let's deal with that first. And then how about his old shoulder injury? Oh, let's get rid of that. And so on and so on. And it sounds stupid, but you are right. That is where the, the intelligence in our body actually starts working. And it's spooky. It is actually what can occur seems nearly supernatural. It seems like, like this is weird. It must be a god who does that. Or it must be whatever, some, whatever belief systems we put on it. Yet, in, in fact, it is the sheer power of us restoring balance. And I think that is where, where really meditation comes into its own, isn't it? It is. Well, I, I felt compelled to walk away from a nearly seven-figure salary yeah. to teach meditation, which was not financially a great career move at the time. <laughs> it was something with well, my wife's like, you're what? <laughs> um, so, you know, we had to sell ours and things. But yeah. I was so passionate 
about what I saw happen in me and what I started to see happen in other people that were following the same path where we, you know, we never had the potential um, really up until just the seventies and eighties and nineties in the history of humankind, really uh, for people to embrace meditation in their daily lives as householders. You know, it was normally the domains of ashrams and monasteries and up in Tibet and in India. So all of a sudden we, we saw this whole new phenomenon starting to emerge and more so even today where we've got this exponential level of stress increasing in our world. Mm. But we've also got this really exciting integration of these practices that have been around for thousands of years that are now starting to be embraced and adopted. Mm. And the phenomenon of what this technique can do for removing so many ailments and anomalies, mm. really the techniques is putting helping put the body in a state that allows the body to do what it does. And that's what I was blown away by. It's like, oh my goodness, you can't be serious. Mm. Like so many of our Western world treatment of these anomalies is either one of two things. One is currently self-medication, which is scrolling through Instagram or using drugs or using porn or using alcohol or, you know, using caffeine Mm. or sugar or food, whatever it is that's trying to distract or numb us from a discomfort that we're currently experiencing. And if we're not self-medicating, then we're medicating, which is let's just put a tablet down their throat and hopefully that this will make the problem go away. But once we realize that deep rest and deep calm and deep stillness and deep meditation can do all of that for you without the side effects, without all the anomalies that come with trying to treat the symptom, then we have a very different world. And that's why I made the film The Portal and the book The Portal to showcase through six real life stories that no matter what someone's background, no matter what someone's crisis, no matter how bad your life has been, we have the ability to break through, alchemize, and live in an optimal way. And no one's excluded from that capability. And that's so important, isn't it? The, there is, it is a choice that we have. It is a privilege for us. We have the privilege to choose which path we want to go having said that you need typically we don't know that we're in trouble unless someone Mm. holds the mirror in front of your face and the amount of patients that come through my system as an anesthetist where we which have for example chronic pelvic pain i work with a lovely gynecologist so we look into the tummies of many women where we think, well, is there maybe something going on there? And often enough, we find sweet nothing in there. And that's really good. So there's no cancer. There is no chronic nastiness going on. But for the women, the problem remains. There is still the problem there. So what do you do? And that is, I think, uh, we see, I see that in daily life often that there are problems that where we cannot put our fingers on it as doctors. And then in such a case, to be reassured that it's not cancer, but now what? Um, that is, I think, the key thing. And therefore, mm-hmm. that is then where the real journey begins, the real journey of getting to know your body, listening to your body, what are actually the messages that he, he she, it is saying to us, um, and then learning more. you Because your journey was a journey of not just self-discovery, but discovery. You learned more about, about the intricacies of the nutrition. Uh, what do various foods do to your body? What does hydration do you to your body? What does silence do? What does exercise do? Um, all those kind of things. You are, you are becoming a scholar of your own body, so mm. to speak. And it's so beautifully put. <laughs> it's it's a, oh, it's it's a what a beautiful journey it is, mm. and we often get sidetracked in our journeys. My journey is meandering as hell, so it's all over the show. And you think you're going there, and you find yourself over there. <laughs> it is what it is, and but I'm learning every day more about me, and I'm honored to have guests like you. I'm humbled to have guests like you who actually hold a mirror in front of my face um, to actually say, "Hey, look." Are you really doing what you maybe should be doing? Tom, I think I'm I'm the typical uh, 
guy, oh God, there are so many reasons why maybe I'm not sleeping so well. So I would be such an easy target for you to take me apart. So maybe let's do not go there. Let's do not use the obvious guy, uh, but maybe do a bit more subtle examples of, of people who are coming to you who think, look, I'm doing it all right and I've got healthy nutrition and I'm still not achieving the serenity, the tranquility. How do you go about that? What, what, can you give us some examples? You know, we, we know of the idea of enlightenment. We know that this exists. We know that people experience it. They're in a state of absolute um, empowerment, sovereignty, deep bliss, deep lovingness. Um, we might not know of those people in our lives personally, but we know that that example exists in the world. And we have to look at then, okay, well, what's the difference between someone who's enlightened and someone that's not? And really it comes down to what I call the 10,000 hours by Malcolm Gladwell. And I don't know if you've heard of the book, The Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. And it's a, a profound book that looked at people that were outliers in our society that excelled in certain areas. Like let's just say David Beckham at soccer or Tiger Woods at golf or Yo-Yo Ma at the cello or someone else at science. And mm -hmm. what they found was that these people were allocating a disproportionately large amount of time to be better at that particular niche than someone else. And they might have an inherent capability or skill set at it, but it was the fact that they were allocating larger amounts of time to that particular area mm. to be better at it. Mm. And we find this time and time again. Mm. And, you know, classic example, David Beckham, you know, people would go to soccer training, they'd finish soccer training after two hours, and he'd stay back for an extra hour every night trying to kick that ball in that beautiful curve so he could perfect that sideline kick. Um, and he obviously got better and better at it. And so the mm. same thing goes with our level of blissful awareness and enlightenment or let's just say mm. a deep calm and deep happiness is that we all have within each moment a certain uh, series of preferences that we can make. Mm. I can make a preference to stay on my phone till midnight scrolling through Instagram or I can read a book at 9 o'clock and go to bed at 9.30 or 10 o'clock. I can wake up in the morning and I can have three cups of coffee, read the news, um, look at my Facebook and then go to work. Or I can wake up in the morning, do some yoga, meditate, do some journaling and then have a green smoothie and some, some dairy-free yoga for breakfast. You know, So each moment is a series of preferences that are going to lead our life to a yeah. better experience or a worse experience. Yeah. And we get to choose. And so for me, my life on a weekly basis, I meditate twice a day. I journal. I read positive books. I go to the gym three times a week. I sauna three times a week. I do yoga three times a week. Yeah. I spend time with my family. I spend time in nature. And this is just a series of value propositions in each moment where I get to assess how is this going to improve my life and yeah. how sovereign am I in making these decisions to being on track to having a more empowered, more yeah. conscious, more enlivened and healthy existence. That's just beautiful. And that, yeah, the, the principle of the five-minute gardener, um, if you were to spend every day five minutes in your garden, never more, never less, but mm. consistently five minutes, your garden after a month would look very different. After three months, six months, it would be an oasis of sorts. And so I just wanted to go back and just touch on something you, you referenced before, which is really poignant. And this is, you know, how, you know, quite often some of the challenges with people resolving their problems and moving forward is that they don't know that they actually have a problem. You know, for me, I had normalized to this idea that I was sick, tired, overwhelmed, anxious, depressed, and I hadn't realized that there was a problem. I kind of had just normalized to living that way, thinking that this was, just a normal way of living. Mm. So the first part in the problem is that people quite often don't know that there's a problem. They don't know that there's another alternative to the mm. current paradigm that they're living by. And secondly, when they do work out that there's a problem, then quite often a lot of people don't know alternatives. You know, they just have a doctor and a psychologist and a pharmaceutical company that says this is the only path. And so if you don't know that there's other alternatives, then um, we just go down whatever path we know. And so this is also a bit of a dilemma, which is what inspires me to get my message out to the world and why I'm even here with you now is to let people know that there's a myriad of different ways and it has to be a very holistic approach to health and wellness. And, uh, and this is why I have a multitude of different things that are tools in my toolkit to make a great life. Just as a gardener will have multiple tools to make his garden really good. And so it's not just having a shovel, he needs you know, fertilizer and he needs good soil and he needs good moisture and he needs 
you know, to have a hoe and to, to weed is, and so there's so many different things that I bring together to make an optimal existence. And I think that that's something that we need to start talking a lot more about in our world is what are the best ways to overcome so many of these problems that we're facing. So true. Uh, it's, it's nearly, you want to go back to school and, and actually mm. make that a mandatory subject um of of today we're going to learn about meditation and next week we do, do uh breathing exercises next week we do that actually introduce kids from a much 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 younger age not us being the the ambulance on the bottom of the cliff after people had their burnouts after people had their their far too long struggles with addiction and mental health problems and health problems we should say health problems mental health is on a part of the story how many times the chronic pelvic pain we mentioned earlier? Are there a number of other so-called functional uh, things, the migraines, the, the chronic headaches, things like that? There's so many things out there that are destroying people's lives. And uh, surprise, surprise, often those medications can be of help, um, but don't necessarily take away everything. And not surprising, um, it is, you expect, this this magic beautiful little pill that does undo 30 years of your drinking and mm. of your trauma and of your childhood problems yeah i don't think so when you actually look at it from that angle then hmm okay yet we are expecting it we're expecting that instant gratification and that is such a such an such a fallacy um, but what you are really saying is there is a bank account that you're paying into every day. And the more you pay in, the more dividends you get out. Uh, and that's, you know, the, the compound interest of you doing all those things in a day results in you actually sleeping, uh, results in you actually being the king of calm. <laughs> the 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 serenity maker or uh, no king of calm that's that's a much much nicer i'll give you that <laughs> um so no wow so how long have you been on this journey now well you know i started uh had that nervous breakdown and, and everything in my world collapsed uh 20 sort of 26 years ago now yeah and uh you know i, I continued on in finance for quite a long time just you know meditating and eating well and drinking yeah. well and living a healthy life. Um, and then eventually it became very apparent that uh, I wanted to get this message out to the world. So yeah. I left my job in finance and then went into teaching meditation and that sort of evolved and grew. So it sort of ventured into making a film and having six books published, working with a lot of the top yeah. companies like Amazon and Coca-Cola and Qantas to help them and their staff reduce stress. And now doing a lot of coaching with conscious nice. leaders to help them get their message out to the world and try and um you know impact the world and scale our message out to the world in a bigger way is your t uh, message being taken up or is it uh is it maybe more a feel-good thing that some leaders implement in their workplace to say ah look we are doing something for the staff's satisfaction um it is is there really a buy-in in the large companies look it's it's a really good question. And, um, you know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. And so um, we, we introduce programs, we introduce strategies and systems, yeah. and just not everyone's ready for it. And that's something Correct. we have to come to terms with. You know, I had friends that knew I wasn't in a very good space for a long time that kept suggesting that maybe I should you know, do some yoga and meditate. And I was like completely, um, you know, rejective of, of those suggestions you know I just had no interest in them and so sometimes we need to hear things two three four five times and so I'm very patient with that and uh, as you would want to be as a meditation teacher and just knowing that um, just do your best let the world know let people know there's other options mm. and then some people will choose it and some people won't and that's okay as well absolutely no i like it the, the way you're discussing that but i think there it is um people who think well it's actually really mumbo jumbo etc and it was a beautiful study um uh, not too too long ago in the last five years where they looked at uh at um a large company and looked at people with headaches uh, chronic migraines and looked at the burden onto the company to see well how many days were off sick uh, how much productivity was lost etc and then they implemented a uh, a welfare or well wellness scheme shall i say 
and it was basically hydration, it was uh, healthy nutrition, it was mindfulness, meditation, breathing exercise, all those kind of things. And then they ran that for a short period of time, and then they tried, to, or I think three months. Then they left, but did a follow-up a year later. And it turns out that actually by implementing such a simple uh, wellness scheme, uh, they on average gained 10 days per migraine sufferer per year of productivity as our number one. And when you looked at those things that were the easiest to keep up and to maintain, it was actually uh, hydration and a healthy amount of exercise. And we're not going nuts here, go to the gym every other hour. No, we're talking implementing exercise as part of your daily living. Maybe choose to walk the stairs rather than taking the lift, those kind of things. It was simple things that were being implemented, yet by doing so on a consistent basis, there were 10 days that for the company that they had their workers at the workplace uh, and uh, clearly a, a far better satisfaction amongst the workers who were otherwise, you know, full of stress and, and suffering. What a nice, nice success story. And that was a lovely, yeah, that was a lovely study. And it just shows that if we actually put our money where our mouth is and actually invest literally in, in such schemes, how would this world be? Uh, at the end of the day, and it is, it would be amazing, would be my educated guess. Therefore, mm -hmm. I love the journey that you are on of, of being this, this spokesperson for calmness, this, this person who goes out there and facilitates others experiencing the calmness, the serenity. And that is, that is a magic place to be. The, the problem is the moment you leave, if they then don't take up this kind of momentum and let it seep away. That's the problem. It's the same with me. I've, I find myself, I've worked again like stupid over the last month. I quickly, the swimming fell by the wayside. Healthy eating fell by the wayside. Not all the time. Uh, often I could do things, but more, yeah, there were more days creeping in when a muffin just looked too good to say no. And it's those kind of things. And, and I feel I'm getting ratty. I'm getting, my mood is not as nice um, as it could be. Um, it, it is what it is. So, but then again, when you're flying from here to overseas, even from here to Sydney, um, 95% of the time, the plane will be off course. So what? That's free correct. Okay, you had a muffin, who cares? Uh, then have a smoothie tonight and maybe do some, some intermittent fasting tomorrow. So who cares? Okay, you can't go to the gym now. Well, fine. Just get up, actually walk down the steps, maybe twice and come back up. And that's it. You have done some exercise. Um, you have got the privilege to choose right now what you do. And I commend you guys out there because you're right now, you're listening to Tom, Tom Cronin and me just buntering around and talking about those, those actually so simple steps. If we can just maybe do something on a regular basis. I mean, do you, do you advise your, your clients to set alarms to actually think about hydration? How do you, how do you implement good habits? Because that's really what we're talking about when we are talking about a fundamental transformation of life. It's implementing good habits that sooner or later outweigh everything negative that we have done or that we might be still doing. Yeah, look, I, I do recommend them compartmentalizing their week mm. into sections each day. Um, and uh, even my one-on-one -on -one clients get a success planner, which is my daily journaling book. And every day uh, I set up their routine for their day. And at the end of the day, they tick off the boxes. You know, did I drink, there's a little section in, in each page for, of that book. You know, did I drink two liters of water? Did I exercise? Did I read? Did I meditate? Did I do some stretching? And it's not like we need to do them every day. But if we, um, the analogy I like to use is if you take a twig, you can snap it quite easily. And um, just one twig on its own is, is a little bit fragile. If you've got one thing to use to try and make your life better, let's just say, um, I'm going to live a fairly unhealthy life but drink two litres of water a day. That one thing alone probably isn't enough, mm. even though it's still quite good. If you take two or three twigs, 
it's a little bit harder to break. You know, they're a little bit more mm. stir, stable and a little bit more strong. Mm. Um, so now I've got drinking two liters of water a day, doing some stretching, doing some journaling. And then you start adding more layers to your health and wellness regime. And you'll find that it's, I really like that analogy you had before of investing. You know, you're putting money in the bank and you're investing for the long term. Our society and our system that we're currently operating within is set up for immediate gratification. And it's also set up for uh, promoting an unhealthy and unhappy society. Mm. So our economic model is built on the idea that it thrives more successfully if we're unhealthy and unhappy, uh, because then we want more, we spend more, and we depend upon a system more. But if we take our happiness and our health yeah. into our own hands and we become sovereign in it, what happens is that economic model has to change quite dramatically because oh. what's, what we're depending upon is, is things to make us happy and make us healthy. But it's actually quite simple to be happy and healthy without the dependency on that system. Uh, and so then we start to have a very, very different operating system. Very intriguing. Very intriguing. I actually like the way that you're saying that. I'm not sure that people actually say that consciously out there, but of course it makes sense. You can make more money out of sickness than you can make out of wellness. Um, well, <laughs> I think nowadays the balance is so good out there because there's so much money being made out of wellness programs. Mm -hmm. sure. And That's some true. of them very deservedly because some of them are worth the weight in gold and yeah. some of them are nothing than shenanigans and, and, and rubbish packaged in a, in a magic green powder that if you drink that three times daily, then your life would be so much better. Um, yeah, exactly. As you said, instant gratification is unfortunately not working when it comes to mental wellness, isn't it? I think we just got to ask if, we, if we're going to have, let's just say a billion dollars being spent on sick people a billion dollars uh, of sick people spending money on being sick and a billion dollars of um, money being spent on being healthy, you definitely want to choose the billion dollars of people being <laughs> sustainably healthy and uh, which leads to greater happiness as well. So it, I agree with you that it's, there's, a, there's a big industry in both, but um, I think the one that leads to a healthier, happier society is much better option. Shit, yeah, shit, yeah. Uh, no, there's no two ways around it. Tom, you're an amazing man. I absolutely love the, the way you you have come to the truth of it. But it's interesting because it is a 25-year journey for you. Um, there you go. Um, for me, it was a 25-year journey in alcohol and now an eight-year journey. So I'm, I'm, I'm a few years behind you, uh, certainly in my, in my mental skill set. So I'm only just touching upon the meditation. I'm only just going there. And it is, um, I'm excited about it because I sense that this is another string to my bow, another, as you say, the twig that gives mm. you more, more stability. I love that. Um, so we shall see, we shall see. It is, um, I'm, uh, I'm very grateful that you came today onto my show because you reminded me on on stepping back and looking at a bigger picture and that the bigger picture is so important because it allows me now to focus more on maybe those things that I haven't done so well and and it is what it is we are all human beings um everything in moderation including moderation um so let's let's uh, let's make this world a better place. And if people are, if, if your story rings a bell with them, if they want to find you, where can they go? Yeah, well, first I'd love to offer everyone a free copy of my book, which is a book on overcoming anxiety and depression, addictions, will just really be a, a series of those little, little twigs added together to some steps that are allowing people yeah. some, some roadmaps and some guidelines as to what they can maybe do to make their life better. So mm -hmm. it's uh, called Faster to Deeper Calm. And uh, we'll just have a link in the show notes. Uh, I'll give you that link and they can just click on that link Thank and then you. they can uh, just get that free book. Um, I, ultimately, they can go and find me at tomcronin.com or Instagram tomcronin as well. Very simple. Brilliant. And I think it's... It's a beautiful investment if you actually look at it from that angle. It is, we are investing so much. We are thinking we are doing ourselves something good, which often enough is a fallacy and often enough those things that are doing us good like the cheesecake or 
and uh, the lovely bottle of wine because I've deserved it. Um, or, or, or they all come with a heavy price tag uh, immediately and in the long run, regrettably. And if we could just maybe take the same money and invest it into maybe half an hour uh, a call with you um, or maybe a series of, of interventions with you or a program with you. Yeah, I think right. these kind of things are, are amazing and provided you are actually getting involved and you're willing to change, then this is amazing. If you only say, well, <laughs> with a course and with a program, it's not as easy, but if you're just buying just another self-help book that you then don't read, or if you read it, that you never will implement even the singlest, the single, just the smallest bit of it, then, well, surprise, surprise, it, your life will not change. Hmm, but so no. Tom, thank you so much for being a guest on my show. Thank you so much for, for opening my eyes again to the need to think wider. And I, I tend to get stuck in, in certain niches where I say, oh, I really need to do more sport. And then I do more sport and it's sort of up and down. And I need to eat better. And, and I do eat better. Okay, up and down. Uh, but I'm, ah, it's so rare that I step back and actually have an, an overarching look and see what else is going on. Where am I actually getting trapped again in a rat race that I so hard try to avoid, but sneaks up on you? And uh, my suspicion is, yes, I have in recent times. So your, your interview could have not come at a better time. Yeah. Um, for that, yeah, I'm very nice. grateful. Mm, wonderful to hear. <laughs> Tom, thank you so much for coming on to my show. And you guys out there, look after yourself and, and, and uh, stop for a moment and, and think, are you really the person who you want to be? And if not, and my educated guess is the reason that you're watching this show or listening to this podcast is maybe that you're still searching then maybe there's there's some beautiful work waiting for you don't look at it as a chore look at it as a as a as the privilege to change as the opportunity to grow in a better human into a better human being and this is fantastic i i wouldn't have it any other way so i love myself being perfectly imperfect because yeah at least i can grow I'm, and I'm nowhere close to 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 even coming to good levels, leave alone to perfection. Um, so I'm striving and and uh, Tom Cronin, good man uh, to have by your side uh, because he has been striving a little bit longer than me. So here I am the, uh, talking to the master. So Tom, thank you so much for coming on to my show. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for inviting me along today. You are there. Look after yourself and live with passion. Bye. Dream on.